Most people's knowledge of whatever they know or think they know comes because someone else who did research or someone else who did science or someone else who did history or someone else who experienced them told them about it. In other words, faith is taking someone else's word and trusting that that person is a reliable person. So faith is a kind of knowledge that is based on something someone else has said. Hello, my name is Elijah. This is Kingdom Subjects. Today I'm joined by Pastor Rick Boya. Rick is the founding pastor of Trail Christian Fellowship, where he served for over 42 years as the, the lead pastor. He received his doctorate ministry and mes- uh, master's in exegetical theology from Western Seminary, as well as a bachelor's in biblical studies at Biola University. And shout out to both those schools. We appreciate what you guys are doing. And He's also the department chair of theology here at Pacific Bible College. Uh, He loves family. He has nine grandchildren and one great grandchild on the way. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Rick. Glad to be here. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to have you. So when I had reached out to you about recording this, uh, we tossed around some ideas about what to talk about. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned uh, God's God's word in our hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. And I didn't exactly know what all that included encapsulated. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, that's kind of a cute title, right? And then I dug into it and it was rich, you know? It's a big topic. It's a big topic. And uh, it was just one of those things where I, you know, all of a sudden I'm listening to lectures and diving into philosophy Mm. and theology and realizing this is not just a cute title. This is a rich, powerful topic we're going to be discussing. And, uh, to the point where last night I'm laying in bed listening to uh, the history of Western philosophy and theology by John Frame. Right. My headphones are on. My wife's asleep next to me, and uh, listening about Pascal and you know, just right? Powerful. Right. Yeah. Really important stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I was I'm really excited about this, and then it was one of those things where it's the the curve where you learn a little bit and you think you know something, and then you. Uh, learn a little bit more and then realize you know nothing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's so true. I don't think that ever stops. No, <laughs> truly. That was, that was me. I thought, you know, God, God's word in our hearts and minds. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh yeah, I know a little bit about that. But then last night I found out that uh, just the tip of the iceberg. So yeah. Um, for for our listeners, uh, can you can you give us a hint of what the expression God has spoken means to you? Yeah. It's a very important expression. Actually, J.I. Packer years ago wrote an excellent book on the subject of the Bible called God Has Spoken. Mm -hmm. But it's a reference to the idea that God uses words, not just impressions, Mm -hmm. not just feelings of dependence upon God, um, not just feelings of beauty, what some people call inspiration or inspiring thoughts or whatever. God actually uses real words and he communicates with them. And um, we as humans, we speak. What a lot of people don't realize, and even Christians haven't wrestled with very deeply sometimes, is that God actually speaks. And then when his speech is written down, it is called scripture. The Bible calls it scripture. Jesus called it scripture, the graphe, the writing. So uh, anything we know about God comes from what he says about himself. 
Mm-hmm. That's why the idea that God has spoken is crucial. Mm-hmm. And uh, we live in a world that's sort of demented on that subject. The Bible says so. We see what the Bible says about us. Mm-hmm. And it really is kind of off the wall. Our world, if it believes in God at all, denies to God the ability to talk mm-hmm. um, or to speak intelligibly. And to get that written down through human beings, you know, this whole idea of scripture, uh, that's all enmeshed, embedded in this idea that God has spoken. And uh, so that's why in the course that I taught on it and I do a seminar on it, I named it that Mm -hmm. because... um, People just, it's like, oh, even as a Christian, it's like, oh, wow. If there is a God, I bet he knows how to talk. Mm. If he knows how to talk, did he say anything? You start Mm. asking that question and you look at all of human literature, Mm. only one book stands out and it's Mm. the Bible. Yeah. So, um, and even over and above the Quran. Yeah. uh, The the way that God speaks in the Bible is just amazing. Yeah. So anyway, that's. Mm. unpacking it a little so un- unpacking <clears throat> that even more um when you when you say god has spoken and be, you know when he speaks it becomes scripture yeah that's not just when he speaks audibly but he speaks through that's the right. holy spirit he, Is that what you're he, well about? he speaks through humans mm. and the spirit of god um prompts the human so that the words of the human are identical with the words of God. That's mm-hmm. what inspiration is. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of inspiration um, in the Bible. The way the Bible views itself mm-hmm. is that a human being can actually be, uh, through their own voice and their own vocabulary, can actually bring about what God once said exactly. Mm-hmm. So that the words of the human and the words of God become identical at that moment and then when that gets written down this is why in hebrews 10 uh, the writer of hebrews says quoting jeremiah he says the holy spirit says and he's quoting jeremiah Mm. he's he's quoting a written document Mm -hmm. jeremiah but he says he calls it the holy spirit says Mm. god has spoken so that sounds like uh, almost a dynamic inspiration as opposed to dictated. Oh, yeah. The church has never really adopted the idea that inspiration is a form of dictation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always it's a dynamic unity between the mind mm-hmm. of the human author and the mind of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it's perfectly understandable i mean it's not a weird idea once you understand that god's mind and the human mind human minds were created after the image of god's mind and even though we're fallen Mm. that doesn't mean he can't speak through us to one another yeah that's the whole nature of prophecy in the bible yeah can you talk about uh so with that being said what is the mm, poignancy of john 1 1 saying that Jesus is the word. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, The word of God has several different aspects to it. Mm -hmm. It's the voice of the spirit, the voice of God himself. But in personal form, 
it's the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So he is the expression of God's own person. And you couple that with Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the outshining of God's own being is Christ. So, and remember that a word is always the expression of a mind. Okay? Yeah. So when God expresses his mind in a certain way, creation comes into existence out of nothing. Okay? Yeah. That's the word of God creating. Yeah, that's like ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, yes. Ex nihilo. Yes, out of nothing. Out of nothing. Okay. And, and when he expresses his personal self in human form, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has two complete natures, both divine and human. And people say, well, you know, God can't mess with humans and blah, 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 and they're so different. They are different, but God created us, and there's no reason in the world, biblically, why he cannot join with us. Mm. So in John 1, 1 to 5, yeah. uh, you do have the expression of God's mind in personal form, and he became flesh and dwelt among us, um, verse 14 of the same chapter. So. The word of God has these different facets. It, it, it can be written down. It's called scripture. It can be heard as the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Mm. Okay. And you can see the word of God in live action mm. in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's more to it than that. But that's how John 1, 1 fits in. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's very... That opens up so many boxes mm-hmm. <laughs> to think about because you start thinking about linguistics and what language was being spoken in the beginning. You know, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for me, as you say that, it's all these things to think about. Yeah. And language itself is an amazing thing. I, don't, mm-hmm. um, I had a friend who got his doctorate in psycholinguistics mm. many, many years ago. He's with the Lord now. But the concept of speech itself is a relatively miraculous thing among humans. Mm. It's not found anywhere else in the creation except angels, of course, but mm. and God. But humans, they create language and they'll create their own if you don't teach them one. Yeah. So this idea of speaking, this comes directly from God himself. Mm. So when it says God has spoken, all of this is implied and our whole ability to speak to create language and communicate with literature. It's an amazing, amazing thing. That is amazing. And I think it's fascinating that uh, babies learn to speak just naturally. They totally do. They don't learn to write naturally. It's one of those things that they just pick up from their parents. That's right. And uh, Dee Chadwell, uh, who teaches at Pacific Bible Mm -hmm. College for the listeners, um, she was telling me that babies will learn up to 50 words a day. In that period. Oh, wow. Learning, which is incredible. Wow. And so, yeah, just that that, idea that language is just natural to human. It is. The human experience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to me, it points to creation. Mm. How long did it take evolution to figure all that out? Mm. That's not happening. Yeah. This is a creative thing. Mm. So... We're kind of taking it back to the garden a little bit. And so I'm I'm interested in... Because this is something I think you had mentioned in one of your lectures, mm-hmm. intellectual autonomy. Yes. And so, can you tell us a little bit what 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 is that, okay. and when does it when did it start? Okay. Intellectual autonomy, as opposed to um, intellectual 
effort that is not autonomous but relies on God. There's a contrast there. Mm-hmm. Intellectual autonomy is an idea that John Frame, I think, I think I first heard it from him, but I've heard it from others as well. And it's the idea that a human being can and should think separately from God, mm. even to the point of possibly disagreeing with God. Autonomous, autonomy is mm-hmm. the word autonomous, meaning self-law, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. A law unto ourselves. And you said, where did it begin? It was in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve listened to a dissenting opinion mm about what God had said. God said, mm-hmm. don't do this. It'll kill you. And the serpent said, oh, no, you it won't. Uh, it'll make you like God. And she decided, mm-hmm. and then so did Adam, she decided, oh, I should think autonomously. I, I should mm-hmm. think separately from God. Yeah. I should not submit my own thinking to God's thinking. I will be a law unto myself. That's autonomy. Mm-hmm. And that's... Where it started biblically, it's right after the creation. It's the beginning of the fall of man, which is why the mind is needs to be converted itself. I mean, in other words, our whole thinking that we've inherited from Adam and Eve is autonomous until the Lord says, hey, I'm here. Listen mm-hmm. to what I'm telling you. Yeah. So autonomous human intellectual activity, if it is not informed by God, will actually become idolatry. It actually, we end up worshiping it. Romans chapter one, it becomes idolatry. Mm -hmm. This is why in 2 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul says we have to take every thought Mm -hmm. captive to obedience to Christ. Mm -hmm. And he uses a couple different words in there, the words for strongholds and stuff like that. They have to do with the way people think and the way they understand things. So uh, human autonomy at that level produces idolatry, which produced death. Mm. So it's a very important concept. Mm. Uh, yeah. Is, is what we're seeing today, so in like a secular age, the result of human autonomy? Of course. Mm. Absolutely it is. Um, humans have always tried to think autonomously from God. Mm and are reliant on God to reveal himself and then challenged to believe God when he does reveal himself. But in Western culture, uh, from about the fourth century until the 16th century and early 17th century, uh, there was a pretty much Christian worldview in Western culture. Uh, It wasn't always interpreted properly. Uh, the, The church made tons of bad mistakes. But the concept that God was there that was there. Mm-hmm. In the uh, 17th century, with the quote-unquote enlightenment, mm-hmm. um, there was a severing of the concept of knowledge from the concept of God. Whereas prior to that, mm-hmm. since the 4th century in Western yeah. civilization, the concept of God and the concept of knowledge went together. Mm-hmm. And you understood that knowledge was valuable, but God's the one who grants it and teaches us how to think. In the beginning of the Enlightenment, uh, human autonomy on the thought level mm. in the elites of Europe really spread, and that's what we've inherited. So, yes, today, modernism and postmodernism, both, and the complete chaos on the subject of knowledge mm-hmm. that we have today, mm-hmm. 
traces its origins back to the early Enlightenment, where they said, uh, well, Rene Descartes, you were going to maybe ask me a question about Rene Descartes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Rene and, and how this well, happened. Descartes uh, was a church-going Roman Catholic, mm -hmm. and he intended to create a way of thinking that was that would give certainty to thought, because it was a very skeptical age. How do we know anything? We don't know anything, you know. And so he was saying, um, "Well, let's. I'm going to doubt. I'm going to start by doubting everything." This was the beginning of his mistake, <laughs> because he started by literally doubting everything. Right. And then that's why he came up with cogito ergo sum, you know, uh -huh. I, I think, therefore I am. And what he did- Was that him that said that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rene Descartes. And that's why he's called um, the father of uh, Western Enlightenment philosophy. He's the first really modern philosopher in that sense, because he emphasized what I think about what I think. I think, therefore, I am. Because, mm -hmm. And he came to that by saying, all my other perceptions might be mistaken. He was a rationalist. Mm -hmm. So he didn't trust empirical perception primarily. Okay. He, uh, rationalism favors internal thinking processes, like geometry, he based his thing on geometry. He was a mathematician. Mm -hmm. um, are more important than what you see, because what you see, it can deceive you. And he uses a bunch of illustrations for this. but So he didn't trust empiricism. Mm -hmm. He trusted only, and he wanted to get down to some philosophical, you know, close your eyes, think about what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. How can I prove that I exist? I'm not sure. How, how do I know I'm not an insect dreaming I'm a man? Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. And he said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But then he said, but if I'm doubting this, I must be thinking. Oh, then that means I exist. I think, therefore, I am. I must exist. I exist. Okay, yeah. See sure. how, it, see how mm -hmm. the, and, uh, <clears throat> but what he should have said was, <laughs> and, and I'm serious, he gave away the store uh, because what he should have said was, God thinks, therefore, mm. I am. Wow. That's yes. what he should have said. Uh -huh. That's what his church would have said. Yes. That, you know, he's a Roman Catholic for yeah. heaven's sake. And uh, for all of our disagreements with Roman Catholicism, right. <laughs> the doctrine of God yeah. is there. You know, he should have, instead of starting with how humans think right. and the epistemological skepticism, that means the doctrine of knowledge. Yeah. How do I know what I know? He started with this internal rationalistic, I only know what I can know on the inside and I can't know much only that I barely exist and he thought he was going to build on that but it didn't work what happened was the other philosophers after him adopted his skepticism mm. and rejected everything else he said mm. to try to help them he wanted other people to believe in God from yeah. a, a source of certainty his big mistake and I'm not the only one that says this I mean yeah Christian thinkers have been saying this for generations his big mistake was he started with human mind instead of God's mind. Human word instead of God's word. And we've inherited that in Western civilization through him, David Hume, Immanuel Kant. And, and Kant was a watershed in, uh, in Western history. 
So basically, the concept of the ability to know something about reality was severed from the idea that God has anything to say about it. Mm. And Kant put that in into the plausibility structure of Western civilization. He basically said there are certain things that are out there. We believe that there is a God. We can't know anything about him. All you can deal with is the phenomenal world. Mm. And we've inherited all of that. It started with Descartes, more or less. Mm -hmm. Radical skepticism about what we can know. Why? Because we're only relying on what we can perceive. Mm. Now, that's why the Lord says, there's more to knowledge than what you can perceive. Mm -hmm. But see, we've been severed from that concept, that God can reveal things to us. Mm. Wow. Um that there's so much to that so i'm trying to gather my thoughts okay um it reminds me of something i had heard in like a youtube video or something about the creation like under trying to understand how we got here and what's confusing about these um these thought processes is that you can't disprove them in a sense that uh there's something have you heard of last thursdayism have you ever heard of that no okay so it, <laughs> it's it's just funny popular idea okay uh that well, you can't disprove that the world didn't start last oh, thursday right right and yeah. that you were you came we came into existence with memories that we think that right you know we're, I'm that I that I'm 25 years old and that I am married, but the, actually the world was created last Thursday and it came into existence and that's when I began, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh, yeah. So you, you, technically speaking, it's not disprovable, but uh, the reason we don't follow such logic is because we go down the path of what is most probable, and so it's not probable that the world started last Tuesday, um, and so thus we can throw last. Tuesdayism or Thursdayism out into the trash. You know, that <clears throat> follows David Hume. Mm. That's radical, radical skepticism. Mm -hmm. And it's empiricism is what it is. I only know what I see. Mm -hmm. I don't see last Thursday. I only have a memory of it. That's where all of that comes from. Mm. That, there's nothing new under the sun with regard to skepticism. Mm. So it's interesting that they call it last Thursdayism. Uh -huh. That thought has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. It's the same with, you know, how do I know I'm not an insect dreaming I'm a man? There's no way to prove. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. But that's where that's where skepticism got us. See, that's the insanity mm -hmm. of living in that kind of skepticism. Whereas God's word says, no, the human mind actually functions under certain normal conditions. Mm. You can trust memories. Mm. You can trust certain things. And the radical skepticism is crazy making. Mm. Is that faith by definition? Um, faith is, it depends on what you're talking about. Uh, faith is used in different contexts. Uh -huh. Faith essentially is taking someone else's word for something when you don't have the knowledge, but someone else does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Taking someone's word. You're taking yeah. some, someone's word for something. That is a definition of faith mm -hmm. that is true and usable, usable across the boards. Mm -hmm. Pe most people's knowledge of whatever they know mm -hmm. or think they know yeah. comes because someone else who did research or someone else who did science or someone else who mm -hmm. did history or someone else who experienced something told them about it. Mm -hmm. In other words, 
Faith is taking someone else's word and trusting that that person is a reliable person. Mm -hmm. So faith is a kind of knowledge Mm. that is based on something someone else has said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now that brings up the other concept of faith. You said, well, does that mean we need to have faith? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. Faith is a knowledge category. It's a kind of knowledge. First Corinthians chapter two. Mm. The world has the wrong kind of knowledge, Paul said. Yeah. And if they had understood real knowledge, they wouldn't have killed the Messiah. Mm. So there is, on the one hand, taking someone else's word for something. And on the other hand, the whole idea that faith is a kind of knowledge, a way of understanding reality based on what God actually says. And that's the Christian form of faith. They actually incorporate what God says into their reality structure. Whereas the world says, hey, we have faith in each other. Mm. You know, we have faith that so-and-so came up with the idea of the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, they believed the world was eternal. That matter was eternal. Well, now they changed their mind about that. Mm. But none of us were there at the time of the Big Bang. So we take someone else's word for it. The difference between that that kind of faith and Christian faith is that a Christian says, I also incorporate God's word as a foundation for everything. I believe God can talk. He has spoken. And I incorporate that into my reality structure. Yeah. That's faith. That's good. That some that reminds me of something I've heard you say was uh, a question you posed to a, someone or to a, a class about true knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think you were talking about your grandson. So if your grandson was looking at your car, mm-hmm. and you were saying, "Well, this is how the carburetor works," and so and so forth, mm-hmm. and then he goes and tells his friend, "So I know, I know how a car works. It's this and this and this." Even if he doesn't really know, he doesn't know. Even even if he doesn't know everything. Yeah. Okay. See, if all he knows is the carburetor, this is the illustration I use all the time. And I and I ask whole groups of people this. <laughs> and I usually get about a 50-50 response. I tell young Logan, my oldest grandson, uh-huh. when he was little, and I'd pick him up and he'd watch the motor running in my pickup truck. And he was fascinated by it. What's this, Papa? What's that? Mm. That's a carburetor. What does it do? It mixes the air and the fuel so that the motor will run. Oh, so then I asked the group, uh, does little Logan have um, real knowledge? Mm. How many of you think he has real knowledge? And about half of them will say yes, and about half of them will say no. Mm. Well, the answer is yes, he has real knowledge. Because I told him the truth because I knew what it was. Mm. He took my word for it, and that's warranted true belief. That's what knowledge is, mm. warranted true belief warranted. based on the fact that I knew what a carburetor was. Does it mean exhaustive knowledge? Mm. No. He doesn't have exhaustive knowledge about a carburetor mm. or a motor. He got that later because he works on his own cars now. Right. But what he did have was true, and it was real knowledge. Mm. But it was faith in me telling him the truth. Mm. That's why faith mm. is a knowledge category. It's not the absence of knowledge. It's the presence of a kind of knowledge. Mm. See what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I use that illustration. That's that's really powerful because I would have been in the group saying no because, you know, it's kind of a trick question. Mm-hmm. And then you open my eyes to that. And it's very powerful. Yeah, because if you don't understand that, then when you read the Bible, you won't understand the connection between the Bible and real knowledge. Yeah. 
And that's what Dallas Willard in his book, and I can give a shout out to Dallas Willard's book, Knowing Christ Today, Mm -hmm. published in uh, 2009. He points out that faith that's not based on knowledge isn't a biblical kind of faith. You're supposed to you're supposed to be able mm-hmm. to know that you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that connection. Yeah. Am I going to take God's word for something? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That really puts secular knowledge into a different category. Mhm. Yes, it does. Secularism is something of a myth. Mm. It's the idea, the term secular came up in the mid-1800s. A journalist in England used the term to describe thinking about life and society without reference to God, Mm -hmm. as if God's not there. Just get him out of the picture and just think of the seculum, the Latin term for the world. Secular thought is autonomous Mm -hmm. and tries to remove God from reality, but that is nonsense. God is the source of reality. Mm -hmm. So secularism in that sense is a myth. And so knowledge based in that myth can create all kinds of confusion, even though at times it might say something that we would say, well, that's true. But the ultimate foundation for it uh, isn't there. It's just just not there. Without God and us... uh, attributing to him the first ability to think, mm-hmm. we then come into this crazy-making idea that you can live without any reference to the creator at all. Yeah, and it's totally unfounded. Oh, yeah. Because it's... Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. it is. And Western culture is in this state of confusion yeah. um, because it refuses to acknowledge actually creation itself. Mm. So... Can you tell us a little bit about um, the uh, the three umpire um, example yeah. you've used before? Yeah. Um, people say, how do I know what I... By the way, this is the subject of epistemology. Okay. And that's a term Christians should use. They should get used to it. Okay. It means the science of knowing, mm. how we know what we know. Mm-hmm. It's one of the main areas of philosophy is epistemology, how we know what mm. we know. And the basis of the difference between world think today and uh, biblical world think yeah. is an epistemological difference. And that was what happened with Rene Descartes. He changed knowledge from understanding what God says to understanding how I feel. Yeah. That's a, an epistemological shift. Okay. And that's what we're <clears throat> currently living in. And what did you ask me specifically? Oh, the umpires. The umpires, yeah. Baseball umpires. One way to view how thinking has changed in the last 300 years since the Enlightenment is to imagine three umpires at baseball games mm-hmm. and how they call the strikes and the balls as they're crossing the plate. The first umpire says... I call them as they are. Now, what that means is this umpire says, I see it. That's reality. I'm saying it. Absolute truth. That's it. Another umpire. Now, move forward in time to a time when another umpire says, I call them as I see them. 
Now, that's a completely different statement. Yeah. One says, I call them as they are, which assumes I see it and it's true. Uh-huh. It's real. The truth is out there. I found it. This umpire says, I call them as I see them. Now, the shift epistemologically has gone from the external reality to the internal perception. Hmm. I call them as I see them. And that's kind of the Descartes shift? Yes. Okay. And I could be mistaken. Hmm. And there's an element of truth in that. Yeah. And so, but that element of truth created so much skepticism because people didn't want to believe what God had to say. So in the, in the enlightenment, what happened is that human reason was elevated basically to capital R reason. And who cares what God says? He probably isn't saying anything. Um, it's our reason that matters. And then as that moved forward for the next 150 years through modernism, humans thinking they were certain about stuff that God said they weren't, Mm. modernism came along, you know, went through. Now, postmodernism, here's the third umpire. Now, remember the first one says, I call them as they are. I see reality. The second one says, I see what I think is reality. I'm not really sure. Uh When that skepticism sets in and bears fruit in postmodernism, the third umpire says this, they're nothing till I call them. Yeah. Okay. Now that third one, mm-hmm. that third one is very, uh, well, it's sort of Kantian. Uh, yes, the pitch has been thrown. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has crossed the plate, but it doesn't have any meaning until mm. I define the meaning of it. That third umpire wow. is postmodernism. Not only I define the meaning of it, for myself, but we together as a group define the meaning for our culture so that external reality is not the point. All that matters is what I think about myself. Mm. Carl R. Truman, who's a very well-known thinker, Mm -hmm. has written a couple of excellent books on this. One published this year, Strange New World Mm -hmm. by Carl R. Truman. And he points out It is only in this context of recreating reality ourselves Mm. that you can come up with a society that says a child can choose its own gender. Yeah. That would have made no sense Mm. to anybody even 40 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. But the society has now imbibed this idea that all that matters is what I think about reality. Mm. That's absolute postmodernism. And it has influenced and become enmeshed in the public plausibility structure, the social imaginaries, what people call it, the way the people imagine the world to be, this idea that reality may be out there. I don't really know. All I know is my interpretation of it. So I'm going to interpret it the way I want. Hmm. And that's how we're in such massive confusion. It's that postmodern shift. Interestingly, postmodernism failed at the philosophical level. Mm. The original writers in the 60s who were postmodern in literature, uh, it imploded because they said you can't, well, it's a long story, but it it didn't float. Yeah. But in popular culture, it has bypassed the philosophical mm, stuff, right. and it's being advertised to us in the media uh, through entertainment and fiction mm-hmm. so that people actually have imbibed this idea that it doesn't matter what God has created. I'm the one who defines 
everything about me. Mm. That idea is what people are converted out of right now. If you come to Jesus Christ in the 21st century, you are being converted out of that self-referential, yeah. autonomous thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who decides. You're getting converted out of that yeah. and into the lordship of Christ over your mind. Mm. And that's what it means when Paul yeah. says in 2 Corinthians 10, um, taking every thought captive. Yeah. And Romans uh, 12 transforming the or trans the renewing of the mind yes I can't yes the exact, yes yes yeah. yes romans 12 1 and 2 yeah and christians mm. memorize this uh -huh. and then watch an enormous amount of television <laughs> and, and they don't realize right. that the tv and the internet are actually shaping their minds mm -hmm. and romans 12 1 and 2 says don't let that happen mm -hmm. let the lord shape your mind hmm. it just blew my mind just now thinking about how the the serpent in the garden's whole thing is did god really say that's correct that's what he said so his the biggest strip of trick up his sleeve is to twist not just twist but challenge mm -hmm. uh, the serpent was no atheist mm. he believed in god <laughs> he just disagreed with what god said and ever since then humans have been taking their word over god's word which is why the idea that God has actually spoken is such a powerful concept because mm -hmm. we've been taking man's word for everything for 300 years in Western civilization. Is that, and it's not because it, like you just said, it's not because it philosophically stands up because it doesn't. Mm -mm, it doesn't. And, and you have like, people have to know this. It doesn't stand up. Mm -mm. Um, we don't create math; we discover math in That's the sciences. Correct. That's correct. And it's, we don't just build it, but we dig it up. Essentially, that's right. That's right. Uh, and there's there's no getting around the fact that there's universal truths in in sciences, right? Yeah. But because we want to be the god on our own throne, mm -hmm. you know, we enthrone ourselves. It's easiest just to um, discard truth and and just ignore say, it ignore it yeah. yeah say hey i'll make my own truth that's what eve did mm -hmm. she literally <laughs> just ignored what god said mm. she took the dissenting opinion that said you can be like god if you'll just disagree with him yeah well interestingly back to genesis uh, adam and eve were already like god they were created in god's image mm. so the the serpent said you'll be like god what he really meant was you'll be god and there's a big difference between wanting yeah. to be like the Lord mm -hmm. and wanting to be the Lord. And humanity became its own Lord. Mm -hmm. And you can trace it through Genesis. You can trace the line of Cain through Genesis. And the destruction of humans being their own Lord. Yeah. That's actually postmodernism to this day. I mean, you can trace that false thinking mm -hmm. right into the 21st century Western culture. Right. Oh, it's so fascinating because if you, if you go back, like you said, 40 years ago, this gender confusion wouldn't have been mm -mm. just ridiculous. Mm -mm. If we go back in time uh, to, to something that people knew was wrong but they did anyways, mm -hmm. you know, like you see in, you know, a 1950s movie with uh, mm -hmm. like – 
Steve McQueen or something. Uh-huh. And he's smoking a cigarette. And it, well, yeah, I know it's bad for me, but you know, right. I can't get. Right. I enjoy these, you know. Yeah. And so there was at least a time when people recognized, yeah, this is wrong, but I do it anyways because I want to be the god of my own throne. Right. Now people are redefining what's wrong as saying that's correct. Mm, who's to say what's wrong? Or bad, even though this everything points to that this is going to kill you, mm-hmm. and which is blows my mind, especially in the gender stuff. Of course, we could get into, but also pornography, which absolutely there is so much evidence, overwhelming evidence, evidence of how terrible pornography is mm-hmm. for you. But the world still says you should watch it. And they don't just or put it's, it out at there. least it says you have the right to do this. <laughs> right? You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, it's crazy. Making. Even in just like a magazines you know mm-hmm. oh, introduce pornography into your relationship mm-hmm. it's it's popular mm-hmm. to do that and it's just so mind-boggling to me that the warning signs are ignored and that's just a small example they are and mm-hmm. this is where carl truman's work mm-hmm. has been really very enlightening he is a, a well-known theologian philosopher writer mm-hmm. okay and um mm-hmm. he points out that you brought up pornography mm-hmm. Um, humans, once they have decided it kind of doesn't matter what God says about ultimate reality, what do they do? They do what they want, then they create a philosophy that supports what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's where the sexual revolution Mm -hmm. actually began from the inside. People introspecting, I think of myself this way, and then suddenly sexuality, which is such a powerful, powerful force created by God, for home and procreation, right? Mm-hmm. But humans take it away from God and then they turn it into this other thing and they create their whole identity around it. So they're worshiping their sexuality. Yeah. And that's why pornography isn't going away. Mm. It's it's not just simply that God says it's evil to victimize women and, mm. and to use sex in this way. Yeah, uh, Humans have adopted the idea that Anything that makes them feel good on the inside is automatically the right thing to do. Mm. And that traces clear back to this idea. I'm not letting God shape my thinking at all. So you're right about the pornography issue. Yeah. It's a symptom. Yeah. And and so much of what we're seeing is a symptom of that symptom because people wonder why why is there so much uh, sexual harassment in the workplace? Or uh, why are pastors falling from grace in this mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. way? Well, yeah, we can trace this clear back. Yeah, to the whole idea <clears throat> that the purpose of being a human is to be sexually gratified. Mm-hmm. That idea, that actually would have made no sense to people in previous generations either. That the purpose of a human is to be gratified and especially sexually. So that any restraint on their sexual activity would be considered inhuman. See, that would have made no sense to people a couple of generations ago. But because we've been internalized, because now we get to decide who we are, Mm -hmm. the idea of the self has been completely sexualized. Mm -hmm. So now you hear people say, well, it's inhuman for you to tell people that they shouldn't exercise certain sexual proclivities. Right. You know, that's just wrong. Why is it wrong? Yeah. Well, humans have adopted this idea mm-hmm. that what they think about themselves and especially about sex mm-hmm. is the essence of who they really are. That's mm-hmm. identity politics. That's yeah. where it's taken us. Is that maybe it started in Freud? 
Freud was really big mm-hmm. on this, yeah. yeah. Sigmund Freud, and Carl Truman points this out in both of his books, uh, one written in 2020, it was published in 2020, I think. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self mm-hmm. by Carl R. Truman. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's pretty academic, 400 pages. Mm-hmm. But he traces the thinking from Feuerbach through Freud, through Marx and Freud, mm-hmm. to the what one uh, documentary calls the century of the self, in which uh, sexualization of human identity actually comes to fruition in the late 20th century. He traces that out. And uh, yeah, Freud was huge, even though his theories have been debunked. Mm -hmm. But the social, the way people think intuitively, Mm -hmm. um, it has Freudian categories in it. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know who Freud is and they use terms like ego. (laughs) Right. People say, well, it's an ego, blah, blah, Uh blah, blah. That's a Freudian term. Mm -hmm. They don't even know it came from Freud. So his thinking, especially about sex, had a huge impact mm. on uh, on Western culture and selfness. The whole idea: what's a self? Yeah. Well, for him, and uh, Wilhelm Reich mm. and uh, several others in that generation in the early 20th century, it was all about sex, and so the self became sexualized, mm. and that's Truman's thesis in his book. Yeah, and what's interesting is that. Today, I hear a lot of people using the golden rule or that, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. I hear the world using that in kind of a weird way. Like, as long as you're not doing harm to someone else, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be free, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Christianity is so, um, it's so incredible in the way that it's one of the only places where you're going to see the self as sacred. And don't, don't do this, not because it doesn't just harm your neighbor but because it harms yourself which can live out in harming your neighbor okay i think you're Mm -hmm. right uh there is an element of that in there Mm. but the biblical worldview is don't do this because god knows you better than you know yourself Mm. and you should do something not simply because he explained it would be bad for you but because he explained don't do it Mm. see i remember rc sproul said something one time He says, we do missions. Why? Well, people need to be saved. He says, that's true. That's true. That's not a bad motive. But is that why we do it? Is that the motive Jesus actually used when he said, go to the whole world Uh and tell them? Is that the motive that Jesus used? People need this. Mm -hmm. Is that what Jesus said? No. What Jesus said was, do it because I told you to. Now, and then Sproul yeah. said, which of these two is the stronger reason for doing something? Because I see the need for it? Yeah. Or because God simply says this is the way it is? Which of those two is the stronger reason for doing something? Mm. Well, that's a pretty heavy question because almost everybody in Western society says, if God will explain why this is bad for me, then I will agree with him about not doing it. Mm. And... That's really well said. You see? Yeah. I'm <laughs> and li- this yes, is the worldview yeah. issue. See, mm-hmm. this is the worldview issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, I was just telling you early before the podcast, how I've, I've noticed in myself, how this stuff has cre- crept in, you know, because yeah. it's the world that I live in. And yeah. So yeah. It's interesting to see that, 
So that's a really good And don't point. let me, it don't, uh, don't get me wrong. Sin is bad for us. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> but God is the one who defines what bad is. You see? Right. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm.